BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. No human being is perfect, certainly not. None of us. But I have never in my life committed sexual battery, physical abuse. You may have watched the trial of Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard and seen the verdict. I have a right as an American to talk about what happened to me, to own my story and my truth. But is there more to the story? We are going to talk with someone who knows a lot of things about both Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. I'm Anjanette Levy, and welcome to this latest edition of Law and Crime Sidebar Podcast. We're glad you could join us, and we have a very special guest with us today. Uh, he is somebody who worked for Amber Heard during this case, during the defamation case. Uh, he was hired by Amber Heard's legal team uh, to look into Johnny Depp, to investigate him, and to find people uh, who could say bad things about him, like that he hurt women and things like that. Um, and he had some interesting things that he found out, not only about Johnny Depp, but also Amber Heard. And joining us is Paul Baresi. Uh, he's a Hollywood fixer. I like being able to say that. He's worked for a lot of celebrities and he's going to tell us all about that. So uh, Paul, welcome to Sidebar. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. You've been in hot pursuit, so I yes. figured I'd on. <laughs> I have been in hot pursuit of you, and we'll talk about why in, in a short while here. Um, but sure. first, I wanted to, you to tell me, uh, what is a Hollywood fixer? How did you get involved in that, and what do you do? How did I know you were going to ask that question? <laughs> there's a distinction between, there's not much of a journey from private detective to Hollywood fixer. The only difference is the fixer is the last resort guy. When everything else fails, the fixer is the guy you want to call because he usually gets the job done. Have you ever had to go look for a last minute gift and thought, what do I get for this person? It could be a family member or a friend who has everything and wants nothing. Well, we have the perfect gift for you. It's called Established Titles. Established Titles is this company that sells plots of land in Scotland. A pretty unique gift, right? The plots can be one square foot. And when you buy the plot, you actually get a title that goes with it. You become a lady or a lord. Look at this proclamation. It's mine. I am now Lady Anjanette Levy for the rest of time. I think I'm actually going to have people start calling me that. And my proclamation actually gives me the number of my plot. And a really cool thing about this, when you buy an established title plot of land, the company plants a tree. So it has this really great environmental benefit that comes with it. So if you want to buy a plot of land from established titles, just log on to establishedtitles.com slash LC10. You'll get 10% off. That's establishedtitles.com slash LC10. Make sure to use that code to get your 10% off. Buy a plot of land and become a lady or a lord, just like me. And so you've 
fixed things for a lot of people. Tell us some of the people you've worked for. I know on Twitter, on your bio, it says you've worked for Sylvester Stallone. You've worked for Eddie Murphy. Well, my niche uh, is mostly putting out sexually based uh, scandal fires. No celebrity wants to be the subject of scandal, but sexually based scandal is the for a celebrity is like putting a noose around their neck and ending their career and livelihood because it's always the most salacious stuff that that does them in. For example, when I put out fire for Eddie Murphy, he was uh, entangled uh, with these transvestites and rumor prevailed that he had a sexual proclivity for transvestites. And I don't know, this is before you were born, probably. In the <laughs> no, 90- I remember the story. I was born. So go ahead. I remember in the 90s, he was picked up in Hollywood. Right. He, said he was just being a good Samaritan and wanted to give her a lift. I guess it was two or three in the morning. And she was standing on a corner, but I guess she was a damsel in distress. He was aware that she was a transvestite. And uh, consequently, she ended up getting arrested and the sheriff let him go home. After that incident, everybody came out of the woodwork alleging they had sexual relations with Murphy, uh, every transvestite hooker, that is. And, uh, And so I was assigned to the task of rounding them all up and helping them all see their way clear to recanting the story were their stories true though or were they just kind of jumping on the bandwagon that's the thing i only collect the information i gather the intelligence and i turn it over to the lawyers and negotiate it's sort of like what they should have done with donald trump instead of barging in like gangbusters they should have called the lawyer and said look here's the situation I had sex with Murphy. Uh, I'm trying to make a living. And then quietly and discreetly, it would have been taken care of. But when you go to the tabloids or if you go on Twitter and you start casting aspersions on someone and making accusations on someone, that's etched in stone forever. So it would be wise to try to do it in a diplomatic fashion obviously that ship sailed so they said let's call Baresi we we got in-house private detectives who are former cops that uh, can't get this job done we better call Baresi because he is uh very familiar with the Hollywood underbelly which I am I think that's really interesting. I remember the Eddie Murphy story and um, we have to say um, transgender. I know that um, I learned a lot about that. So just so we're clear, um, because a lot of people, I guess there's been a change in um, language about this over the years. Um, I remember this. Uh, he was stopped and this person was a sex worker and um, he would the, the woman, the transgender woman was in the vehicle with him. So um, that was quite the story. So uh, let's get to um, why you know so much about the underbelly of Hollywood. Uh, how how do you know about the underbelly uh, of Tinseltown and, and what goes on there? All the dirty dealings, I guess. Well, it's a, it's a sore subject for people, but it's part of my past. I mean, I'm not the man I was 
34 years ago when I posed for uh, Playgirl magazine in 1975. Before that, I appeared in a mainstream movie with Raquel Welch. I had an acting role. That was my desire to grow up and become an actor. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I ended up landing roles without the benefit of clothes. Now, it, it, it was okay uh, for me because it groomed me. It got me ready to stand on the scaffold connecting the two biggest industries in Hollywood, the movie industry and the sex industry, which follows the movie industry like the moon. So the smoldering secrets beneath the red carpet, I'm able to open doors other people can't in that world. I know where to go to, to talk to the transvestites. I know where the mavens are hiding. I know where the hookers are. I know the red light district. I know the adult entertainment industry and all things point to the uh, sex, right? And uh, sex scandal. And so I have a unique uh, innate ability to deal with that kind of problem. You were talking about, we have to use the word transgender now, that transvestite, we can't use that word. But before that, it was even more indelicate. They would call transvestites to tranny. So it would be going from tranny to transvestite to uh, transgender. So people today seem to be very concerned um aware that the proper words should be spoken mm -hmm. but yet for every word in the english language there are 20 words that you can use but in in our society today every other word is fuck this fuck that fuckity fuckity fuck i i looked up joe rogan i said what is it about this guy don't feel like i cheated on you but I wanted to maybe, go, I said, I got to go on this guy's show because that's going to oh. get the play. Yeah, and me, I, Joe I, Rogan. Yeah, okay. And I turned on the show and I said, and all I heard was, fuck, 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 fuck. And then on Twitter, it's always effing whore about Amber. Effing whore, tramp, this, that. I mean, the stream of invective coming out of people's mouths and I'm thinking to myself, have they no letters or words to color their discord? Do they have to use this kind of language? So my advice to people who are sensitive to these uh, old words being uh, modernized, because there's nothing more important than the power of words, which brings me to, to my effective tool. My effective tool, when I put out a fire, is not to go in like gangbusters, to beat someone up, to hire a crew from Chicago and work, break someone's legs. And I'm not a murderer, contrary to what the people are saying on the internet. I didn't kill a transgender woman. I didn't kill Paul Lynn. And so these things are hurtful. And I think the time is overdue to have some sort of a truce what an extraordinary uh, display of strength. Um, and for Johnny Depp to show that he can share one's uh, feelings for someone, if he would just go on, go in public and say, 
all of you out there, thank you for your support, for your love through this difficult time. But I think we should kind of cool it with Amber. I think that she's uh, down for the count. She's beyond up against a rope. She's down for the count. She's flat on her back. Let's cut her some slack. And I think that that would be a great uh, show of uh, strength. And uh, it would show that he really is a good man if he did something like that. That's interesting. And I, I just want to address one thing. I only brought up the transgender thing because I covered a, a homicide involving somebody who was transgender about eight or 10 years ago. And I said transvestite on the air and I was hammered for it. Um, I so I was kind of informed because I, I wasn't aware that there was other wording for that. So I learned that lesson. Um, and then that takes us to um, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. How did you become employed by Amber Heard uh, in the lead up to the defamation trial in Virginia? Well, she hired her first lawyer was uh, Eric George with Brown, George, and Ross. He's uh, he's a very important lawyer. He, he represented uh, Michael Obitz in the Anita Bush settlement. Very powerful. So she got the best. And uh, I had a good track record with Eric, and he called me up and said, um, I'd like to bring you in on this case. Uh, Johnny Depp sued Amber. And uh, we'd like to investigate uh, Johnny. We talked it over with Amber, and we all agreed that uh, you would be the right guy for the job. So I, of course, accepted the charge. I was up for it. And you're, you're, you had a specific assignment, right? You were supposed to go, I mean, you were supposed to dig up dirt on Johnny Depp. Yeah, I was supposed to find... Uh, instances of bad conduct from the past uh, in accordance with what Amber alleged, primarily find other women who were abused by Johnny. So I searched far and wide. I spoke with a great many people. I knocked on doors and uh, I, I couldn't find one. I couldn't find one person to say one deprecating thing about him. Now, let me get something clear with everybody. Just because I couldn't find somebody to tell me, yeah, he's a bad guy, somebody credible. We don't know what people do behind closed doors. There are people who clothe themselves uh, in a certain dignity. They're respected, revered, uh, extolled, by many, for example, Johnny Depp. He's a national and international star. People love him, just like they love Michael Jackson, just like they love uh, O.J. Simpson or Robert Blake. And so I think people lose sight of that. It's important that we really don't know for a fact what went on behind closed doors. I wasn't there. But I can say with absolute certainty that I spoke with a great number of people and they all said Johnny was a sweetheart, that he was a gem of a guy. I'm not saying that uh, he 
Well, first of all, a lot of people hold back on telling you things because number one, they don't want to burn bridges. They might, for example, be actors who like to work with Johnny again. They don't want to say things that might hurt other people. And they, when you bring scandal upon someone, you verily bring scandal upon yourself. So you have to consider all these factors because a lot of people weren't talking to me. And it was like banging on a punch in a wall. I couldn't get people to talk, but those who did only had nice things to say about Johnny. And uh, that's when I decided to go back to the beginning. And when I say that, I mean all the way back to even before he was born. And I collected all of these extraordinary historic documents and photographs of his, the home where he used to live, places where his father used to work. Um, just really great stuff that puts Johnny's life in it uh, in the historical context. I, I want to get to that in it, just a it illuminates second. Those, uh, it illuminates those events. I, I, yeah, and I want to talk about that in just a second, but I want to go back to what you were just talking about. So you kind of went and dug around in the Viper Room. That was that club that Johnny Depp owned in the 90s. And he, um, you know, he, it was a music club. River Phoenix OD'd and died outside of the Viper Room. So it's a very right. well-known place in Los Angeles. And so you're saying out of all of the people you met, you know, digging back through his past, uh, you said there were people who wouldn't talk to you. Uh, but then people who would and the people who would only said nice things. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There were as many people who talked to me uh, that wouldn't talk to me. Mm -hmm. If I talked to a hundred people and I'm sure it was much more than that, you can double it because in equal measure, there were people who wouldn't talk to me and for their own reasons. And they have every right not to, talk to me the phone was hung up or i i tried to get through to people through their agent and there there was no interest in in talking um so but i do want to embrace the issue of of twitter and the internet because i think it's getting a little bit out of hand everyone seems to have taken sides and we've talked before this and right. you agree that those who love johnny take his side and those who love Amber take her side. And then uh, each side has just really ugly things to say about the other. And uh, they voice it on the internet. And it got particularly bad last week. I felt like it, it's, bad every, it's, it's bad every day. And then, yeah. and then other people like, for example, you and I are caught in the crossfire <laughs> or we're, we're directly attacked. And in fact, uh, it got so bad. Uh, I know it's gotten bad for you, but for me, that there was an actual conspiracy going on. Right. Between certain individuals who I'm not going to name. Uh, a civil conspiracy, which, you know, I work with some of the most powerful ivory tower lawyers, uh, entertainment lawyers in the country. And um, I never call on them to help me, but I I brought this uh, to the attention of one of them who will remain nameless. And he said, you know, what they're doing, hiring a private detective, uh, schematizing 
uh, creating false allegations against you to uh, to demean you and to uh, go after your livelihood. He said, there's no uh, complicated way of saying it. He said, this is actionable. You can sue these people. And it could even rise the level of uh, criminal because it's a conspiracy. And um, I said, well, I'm going to keep that under my hat for now. Mm -hmm. But people really should uh, try to cool it and try to show some compassion. If you ever showed compassion in your life, everybody makes mistakes. Uh, the, the whole business about Amber having sex parties and mm -hmm. with women and all that, that looks just like you know what people do behind closed doors is is their business uh, they should no more criticize her for that and they would want someone to criticize them for what they do and i i think we you know i just want to address the reason i um i reached out to paul in july and um i had become made, i had been made aware of him sometime before that and people uh, were alleging that he was, you know, a, a PI working for Amber Heard at one point and then switched teams that he was like a spy or a double agent for Johnny Depp and that he was doing things on the payroll for Johnny Depp and Adam Waldman and that you were betraying Amber. And so that's how, why I reached out to you because I had been told all of these things and I would, yes. uh, you know, that's what I do. I look into things, I get information, I look into it, you know, that's what I do. So that's how I kind of called you. And I want you to address that allegation just briefly. I, I would like. love to address that allegation. You know, um, Amber hired me in the summer of uh, July 2019 is when she hired me. July 9th, 2019. And I searched under every rock, every stone. Uh, we engaged the services of a private detective overseas. We we looked all over the world to try to find bad things about Johnny. And we all came up empty-handed. So she fired us. She fired the lawyers. And with the lawyers went me in, in September. So it was solid three months, three and a, three and a half uh, months. And so it wasn't until uh, April of 2020 did I decide that I would share some of my my times and my experiences as a private detective working for Amber? And um, I shared that with a guy named Chris White, who's a great journalist uh, in London with the Daily Mail. Mm -hmm. And everyone would say, well, why'd you do that? Well, the rumor had it that uh, there was a big story that was going to be coming out about Amber Heard's former investigator uh, was uh, in the adult entertainment world. And I just felt that that would, uh, I know how, how they would spin such a story. So I felt that I should own that narrative. And I preempted the story that was to be, or I heard was gonna happen. I preempted it by calling Chris White, and it was a good move on my part. Are you a Are you working for Johnny Depp and Adam Waldman? Did you betray oh, him? No. Or, I answer the, that's just what answer. I was going to tell you. Yeah. I'm, you know, one of the most frustrating things for me is when you do a story for a newspaper or if you're a source for any kind of a story, 
you say things and a lot of the stuff is edited out. The The best story is the truth. So what happened was after I did the story with Chris White in the Daily Mail, I got an email from Adam Waldman who said, I really appreciate you coming clean because the story said what we've already discussed that I couldn't find anything bad about Johnny. He said, I appreciate and Johnny appreciates you coming clean as if I was holding something something back. And then I, we eventually spoke on the phone. I said, look, I said, Mr. Waldman, um, it wasn't about coming clean. It's It was just the truth. And that's that's how it all went down. So from there, we developed a, a rapport. And I shared with him some of the extraordinary historical documents, which I know you want to talk about later. Right. With him. And he found that fascinating. And I said, in fact, there are some documents I found that are so enlightening that the public has never heard about that. I don't think even Johnny knew about it. And that's that was fascinating. So that's the basis of our of our relationship. And uh, we have we have become friends, you know. so, but you never worked for Johnny Depp Incessant. or Adam Waldman, correct? No, I was. Okay, never- I just wanted to get clear that up because that's that's been out there quite a bit uh, on Twitter and yeah. stuff. So for the I- record, for the record, I've never received monies. I've never been hired by Johnny Depp. I've never been. Uh, my services have never been engaged by Adam Waldman or anybody else associated with Johnny Depp. So let's talk about the historical documents, because you you were hired by Amber Heard and her legal team to find dirt on Johnny Depp. And you said you went back to the beginning uh, because God only knows what you would have found uh, going back to the beginning in 1960 something in Kentucky, I guess Uh, he was born in Kentucky. So uh, tell us what you found when you went looking into Johnny Depp's past. Right. So when you investigate someone, you essentially build a profile. Profiling is something that's been going along, going on in investigations long before the FBI coined the phrase. Um, the best way to get to know someone is to find out where they come from because they're a product of their mom, their dad, and where they come from, where it all began, even before they're born. What what was their mom and dad all about? And it's very telling about a person. And I know the value of that information. So I went to um, court our archives and I just started fishing, punching in names and so forth in the master file. And I came up with uh, some really cool stuff that although is extremely uh, it's old, no less extraordinary. For example, I found their his mom and dad's uh, marriage certificate. Uh, there was one single piece of paper, but it told me, I see here that Johnny's dad was four years younger than his mom. Mm-hmm. He was, she was 25, he was 22. And okay, well, big deal. Well, it is a big deal because you know, and I know, well, you're you're still in your 20s. But when you're in your 20s, your brain, you. <laughs> your brain isn't really fully developed till you're 26. I think I was 45 when mine 
was fully developed. But you're a guy, you guys developed uh, Johnny's Johnny's dad, and this was brought out in court, but Johnny's dad seemed to be a very passive guy. He never liked confrontation, which is very much like how Johnny is that we found out in court. He Johnny is kind of a, a passive person, I guess, to a to an extent, like his father. But his father uh I think allowed his mom, Betty, to call the shots, to make the decisions. And so rather than argue with his his mom, uh, he let her call the shots. He, he was passive. And this is uh, consistent with the jobs that he had. He had a problem, I found out through other documents, uh, holding down a job. He was worked for the city. He was a civil servant. He had a problem holding down a job. And so rather than be confrontational, it was a, a, a amazing article I found. Uh, sorry to jump around, but uh, a newspaper article where he was fired publicly, his father. And it was a headline, city manager fired. So rather than fight it, he just walked away, which showed strength, you know, in my view. Um, you get knocked down, you just get up, brush yourself off and and move on. So this is all very telling stuff about his father. And uh, I remember telling Adam Waldman about that. I said, you know, Johnny was only six years old when this went down. And I said, here, his father was headlined. John Depp fired from city job. It was a, a big deal. The Corbin, Kentucky Times was the paper. And I said, this is so uh, so much in continuity with what Johnny's going through right now with the dismissal from the Fantastic Beasts series and the getting allegedly being fired from pirates. And I said, turning the other cheek sometimes isn't a bad thing. And it, it's, a, it's a show of... And um, found some... Divorce, I found a divorce. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I also found that eight months before Johnny's mom and dad divorced, Johnny's dad engaged the services of a psychiatrist. And uh, it's unclear whether he engaged the psychiatrist services uh, for marriage counseling, but that particular psychiatrist, I looked him up, he specialized in marriage counseling. Mm. So did he try to save his marriage eight months before the divorce? Um, this, I would say the likelihood is very strong that he did. So again, yeah. another another admirable quality. And uh, I'll tell you one more document I found that was really interesting is that before their divorce, is before his mom and dad divorced, uh, they made a uh, 
a divorce settlement. And Johnny was a minor at the time. He was uh, 17. Mm -hmm. And in Florida, if you're 17, you're a minor. And so the mom went up before the judge and lied to the judge, said, oh, my son is fully emancipated. He's self-sufficient. He's doing fine on his own. Well, at the time, Johnny was in really financial dire straits. He was living and sleeping in the backseat of a car and eating canned beans. So he wasn't in good shape. Yeah, you had told me about that. And I thought that was so incredibly sad um, because I think he had said, I write, maybe I read it or maybe he said it at the trial, I don't remember, um, that he dropped out of high school and then tried to go back, but they wouldn't take him back, which is even sadder. Um, and so basically- So it was a, it was a rough road for Yeah, him. it seemed really, really sad. Um, and just hearing what we heard during the trial about from he and his sister, him and his sister about Betty Sue and the abuse and his dad, um, you know, it's pretty heartbreaking to think of anybody going through that. It is. So you get to know the person, you get to know that they're the trials and tribulations, what they had to endure as a, as a young person. And it helps you uh, understand them a lot better. And it shows, uh, how vulnerable uh, it makes sense that this going through this, what Johnny went through, he would grow up to be a kind of a, a vulnerable, I don't want to say fragile, but uh, a guy who, who could be easily manipulated, which brings me to a very important point that I hope you'll allow me to really drive home here. And that is uh, routinely and consistently when I spoke with everybody who was uh, speaking good things about Johnny, they all had awful, just terrible things to say about Amber. Uh, one of Johnny's best friends, Jonathan Shaw, a tattoo artist, he was probably the best, the first best friend I interviewed. And, uh, I said, well, tell, do you know about Amber? Can you tell me about Amber? He says, I don't want to talk about Amber. He said, the only thing I would let that gold digging whore, uh, I would help that gold digging whore do is load the gun she wanted to use to blow her fucking brains out. That's what he said to me. And I have to tell you, that bothered me. That bothered me. But, but his... Uh, his manner of speaking, uh, his, his really hardcore um, disdain for that woman is, is so consistent with the kind of vitriol and things I'm hearing on the, I read on the internet. And me personally, I don't like to kick someone when they're down. I never did. I, I don't like bullying. When I was a little boy, I was bullied. And I don't like it. And I think it's time for everybody to just cool it. And that's the point. That's one of the main things I want to get through on this interview. And I hope you leave that in there. Uh, well, one thing I wanted to ask you time about. For everybody to 
Yeah. And I, I, of course I will. Um, one thing, one thing I wanted to ask you about was the fact that, um, we heard that Johnny at the trial, we heard allegations that he's basically surrounded by yes men and that people take advantage of him or have taken advantage of him in the past, um, that everybody around him is basically out for something. And it, and that's just what was stated. That That is not me saying that. I don't know these people. Um, it's just what's been stated. So uh, what did you find regarding that? Well, I found a lot. In, in fact, I, I uh, spoke with Adam Wallman about it. About it. It's, it Adam Wallman is a really uh, stand-up guy. If anyone is in Johnny's corner, he would be the one. I said, you're like Johnny's consigliere. And he said, yeah, I am. And uh, the consigliere is like the, uh, the advisor, you know. And I said, the bane of one of the things I found in the in during my investigation is that the bane of Johnny Depp's existence have been these hanger-ons, these opportunists, uh, these wannabes who leech off of him, who insinuate their way into his life just so they can get something out of him. And what does Johnny do? He doesn't know how to get rid of him. He just lets him hang on. And he lets them hang on, and he and they're there forever. This guy Isaac Baruch, for example, I know everyone loves him. They love his testimony. I think he is the quintessential flimflam man. He has been mooching off Johnny Depp since they were young friends. Yeah, I understand. You you grow up with someone, your childhood friends. You're like brothers, but that doesn't mean you have to take care of that person. Isaac Baruch, I mean, what is he now, 60? And he's still living off Johnny Depp? He's I remember the, something like that, that question. I can hear that question with him on the stand right now. Well, what did, what did Johnny do for you? Well, he told me that all you need to do is do your art, and I'll pay for it. I'll be your benefactor. You just do your art. And the attorney said, I forget which side might have been. Uh, I forget which attorney. Do you remember? Anyway, so um, the, Elaine, uh, Elaine Bredehoff cross-examined him. So the attorney said, uh, well, is that what you're doing? He said, oh, no, I've been so upset for the past two years. I haven't been able to paint. Oh, I felt so sorry for this guy. This guy ought to get off his ass. Johnny Depp has been has been wiping his ass since he was a young, young guy, a young teenager. It's time for him to get off his ass and do his own thing. And this goes for everybody else who's mooching off Johnny Depp. Johnny doesn't have the heart. This speaks to the tender heart this guy has. He doesn't have a heart, the heart to tell these people to take a hike. Johnny Depp, I found paid people's legal fees, medical bills, rent. He paid off uh, one relative's home. All he does is give, 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 give. And of course, Amber Heard was his wife. And uh, I'm not, maybe she too took advantage. We all take advantage of somebody at some point, sometime or another. But if, if someone uh, holds himself out to be type of person just just keeps giving you say well he must like it so i'm gonna let him do things for me too so 
you in some respects you can't hold amber to a fault for for taking advantage uh either maybe she went too far letting her sister move in and all that stuff but johnny allows that to happen and i've told i talked to adam waldman about this i said you're letting johnny or rather johnny is letting these people come into his life and he really needs to to not do that well but i mean he i mean he's doing these things i mean he's a grown man obviously you're saying he doesn't have the heart to cut it off or to cut them off um but oh, i really think he doesn't i don't think he does i think he feels so privileged that he's he he was uh, uh he has to do it he almost feels like he he had who knows what goes on inside johnny depp's head but i think it would do him a great himself a great service if he would just cut these people loose someone said well he gave great testimony for johnny he was a key witness and well if someone was paying my way uh my whole life i'd given a great performance on the stand too yeah, I think people just liked him because he was such a character, you know, the Brooklyn accent, uh, <laughs> the whole nine yards. He was just a funny guy, you know. Yeah, um, but that speaks to the exterior. That speaks to um, um, judging someone based on the superficial side. You need to get inside. You, you need to get in, in there and know what people are all about. That That's why you go back to the beginning. And I'm I'm out there. I see it. I experience it um and i'm in the trenches so i think i'm a a pretty good authority on on what's out there and uh i can i'll tell you like it is every time that's just how i am i tell you like it is and that's what i i love talking to you because you you do you're very uh very honest uh, and very forthright so uh you didn't just though you said you didn't just hear things about johnny depp when you were investigating Johnny Depp um, for Amber Heard. I mean, you were hired to dig up dirt, um, but you said that you somehow came across people as well who knew Amber. Yes, it's true. I mean, I was asked, uh, well, what you find out about Amber? I said, I was investigating Johnny Depp. Now, along the way, when you're investigating, you pick up what they call uh, collateral evidence evidence uh that's not necessarily related to the your central uh objective but it's uh interesting so of course i always have an op uh, an open ear to hear anything and i uh, spoke with amber's very first uh drama teacher ever uh high school teacher at saint michael's his name is Ivan Klausia. He's an actor. He's actually been in a, a low-budget movie. He just retired not long ago. And I spoke with him, and he said nice things about Amber. And, and I also found out that uh, she had a, a very tough childhood, that her father was a mean-spirited, irascible-natured drunk. And I know what she was going through, as did Johnny. Johnny experienced that kind of uh, abuse growing up from his parent, or at least one of them. I certainly did. I mean, I, I felt uh, empathy for her. And uh, Klausi went on to say 
that Amber loved the arts. She loved uh, acting and that all her friends loved her. And uh, she had beautiful qualities and she was a wide-eyed all-American girl who was hoping to become an actor, uh, actress. You say actor, actor now. You don't say actress for women. I gotta keep reminding myself. And uh, and from there, I was able to get in contact with her uh, childhood friend. Uh, his name is uh, Joshua Cruz. And Joshua said that uh, his parents and Amber's parents were good friends and he grew up with Amber. And he said beautiful things about her. So see, there's good things. There are good things about Amber out there you you don't hear about because they're overshadowed by all the hate and all the the vitriol out there that's the stones that are being thrown at her i called uh who i thought was her pr person uh david shane does that name ring a bell yeah he is with shane communications and he um during the trial just for our listeners and viewers who may not know uh, amber heard fired uh her PR crisis PR firm uh, that had been working for Stephanie Cutter of the, you know, she used to work for the Obama administration. Um, she owned that firm and then uh, Precision Strategies. Amber fired that firm and brought on David Shane because David Shane, yeah. his firm had worked against Johnny Depp in the past. They did PR, I think, during the uh, Mandel brothers lawsuit and worked, I believe, for the Mandel brothers. Okay, well, I understand why she keeps firing people because this guy, I want to tell you right now, and if I could see him, I would tell him to his face, he is inept and he needs to open his ears sometime. I called him up and I tried to impress upon him that which I just, as best I could, cogently express to you about uh, how it's important to bring out the, the human side of Amber Heard. And um, I was trying to explain to him that people like uh, her first acting coach or childhood friends, if you could get them out there in public to speak to Amber's character, I think it would help her. But I didn't even get that far with him. He hung up on me. Oh. And yeah, he hung up on me. So I think it would have helped her. Uh, calm everybody down but th these attacks are going to continue on and uh, you and i probably going to continue to be in the crossfire yeah uh, people prefer to hear only the confessions uh, of one's defects rather than any magnificent achievements that we do in life which is sad but that's our society that's just the way our society is yeah i'm a i guess i've become a cynic all these years but i'm also a realist uh i've lived in the real world and i've seen the worst of the worst the glitz and the glamour of hollywood is up here and what i see is is the underbelly what goes on beneath and it's amazing i'm amazed that i i'm still resilient and uh in good health and as good looking as i am <laughs> 
Well, you're a good-looking guy, and you're in great shape. Uh, well, for your I, I was age. just telling you from for my age. Yeah, okay. for I, yeah, you're for your for your age. Listen, you're in great shape. I I, I don't, don't want to get into all that. I'm not. No, I, I don't. I don't, need I don't to be No, no, no. <laughs> I don't recommend. Yeah, it would be. It would be incorrect. Politically incorrect. Yeah, I would get in uh, trouble, yeah. like for like saying something sexy. wrong. Be sexy. But I, th you know, look, I'm 74 years old. Uh, I, I've, I've taken care of myself. I've experienced a great deal in life. I love sharing my experiences with people. Some things I say they may not like. Sometimes, sometimes they're, they're not going to like it. But one thing for sure, universally, I think people appreciate the truth. So whether they like it or not, as long as you're speaking the truth, that'll give you the edge. At least I hope it will. Paul Baresi, a Hollywood fixer, former private investigator. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of Sidebar. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Bring me back. <laughs> I will. I'm I'm just, you're going to be like my Hollywood fixer expert. I'm just getting started, so <laughs> let's right. do it. And that's it for this edition of Law & Crime Sidebar Podcast. It is produced by Sam Goldberg and Michael Dininger. Bobby Zoki is our YouTube manager. Alyssa Fisher handles our bookings. And Kiara Bronson is in charge of our social media. You can, of course, find Sidebar on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, you can watch us on Law & Crime's YouTube channel. I'm Anjanette Levy, and we will see you next time.